Well, if you've got a Bible this morning, we're going to be looking at the book of Galatians. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, that's actually printed for you in the bulletin, so you can follow along uh, with me there. Before, in another life, before I was the pastor here, I served as a campus minister uh, with RUF at Appalachian State University. And occasionally, I would have to encourage students to have a certain conversation. Um, students who were dating would have to encourage them to have a certain conversation. Now, some of you may remember having these conversations yourself. Um, they're often uncomfortable. Uh, sometimes one party in the relationship doesn't really want to have the conversation, uh, and they don't always end well. And we had a name for these. They were the DTR. Does anybody remember these? Define the relationship. Uh, it's time to define the relationship. It's time, it's, you've reached a point in the relationship where it's time to either break up or to get serious, but you can't keep going the way you are. It's time to make some grown-up decisions. Uh, for the past three or four months, we've been studying the book of Galatians, and I've begun to look at Galatians as kind of a, a cosmic spiritual DTR. Uh, it's time to define the relationship. Uh, Paul has initiated this conversation uh, with the Galatians, with the, the residents of, of this area called Galatia. Because uh, the problem is, is that Galatians are trying to have a relationship with Jesus Christ and a relationship with their own good works at the same time. And Paul's saying to them, you can't do that. Uh, it, 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 you can't follow Jesus, you can't trust in Jesus, and trust in yourself at the same time. Which one is it going to be? It's time to fish or cut bait. Are you going to trust in yourself? Or are you going to trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ? And in having this conversation, I think it's interesting that Paul uh, draws a picture for us of the difference between true religion on one hand and false religion on the other hand. Now, even me saying that might make you cringe a little bit because uh, many of us would say, well, isn't all religion true? Isn't all religion good as long as it's helpful, as long as it makes you a better person? Well, who defines good in that equation? Who defines better person in that equation? And if you say you know that all religions are equally valid, equally helpful, isn't that a pretty big claim to make? Doesn't that require a lot of knowledge on your part? Isn't that actually a faith or even a religious commitment on your part to make such a statement? Uh, on the other hand, some of us might say there's no good religion. You know, I'm, I can't wait to get out of the South and get away from all these religious fanatics. I want to escape the bondage of religion. We don't want anything to do with it. But the reality is we can never escape religion because we're all religious. We all have faith commitments that we make in life. Uh, in fact, we all have things that we worship and serve and build our lives on and, and have a religious commitment to these things. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to like to say, uh, the question isn't whether you're religious or not, the question is what is your religion, because we're all 
religious. And so what I want to do this morning from our text is to try to draw a contrast for you between what the Bible says about what is true religion and then what is false religion as well. So Galatians 5, and I'll start reading in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Uh, Thus ends the reading of God's word. Would you pray with me, please? Father in heaven, we do give you thanks for your word, and we give you thanks even uh, for this passage, which is an interesting and, and difficult passage, but we pray that you might open it up to us and help us to understand what it means, and understand what difference that makes in our lives and how we live. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll talk about an uncomfortable conversation. Um, You you know, imagine that uh, I had sent some guy to have a DTR with a girl, or we're on the college campus, and y'all got to have this conversation. And he comes back and I say, well, how did it win? And he says, well, she said I should cut certain parts of my body off. That's just an uncomfortable conversation to have. Uh, Any conversation that ends in that way, that ends as this text just ended this morning, is not an easy conversation to have. There's something something serious going on here. Uh, Paul's obviously worked up. At these false teachers, if he would say this, make this statement to them, you need to emasculate yourselves. Well, what's the big deal here? Uh, we need to understand the situation. And if you, if you hadn't been with us, this is like probably like jumping into this is the deep end of the swimming pool. What, what, what is, what's Paul talking about? Why is he so worked up? Well, the Apostle Paul started churches uh, in an area called Galatia. And he went to this area and he preached to them and he said the way that a person can come to know God, the way that a person can be right with God is through faith in Jesus Christ, not through obedience, not through doing any sort of work. Paul started the church. Paul moved on. That's what he did. He moved on to start another church. After Paul left, other teachers came in. And it's what he's calling here the false teachers. They're also called Judaizers. These false teachers came in and they said, well, Paul was kind of half right. What you need to do to be right with God is you do need to put your faith in Jesus, 
But then you need to add to that your obedience. In particular, you need to add the works of the Mosaic Law, especially the ceremonial parts of the Mosaic Law, which is what they were emphasizing, uh, and, and even the clean laws of the Mosaic Law. Now, the clean laws, those are those laws in the Old Testament that we, we all read and go, what was that about? Uh, these are, you know, there were laws about mildew, laws about uh, how you dress, uh, laws about what you eat, all of these, these, these laws that, that we don't really understand now. Uh, but part of what these laws were doing in the Old Testament was that they were setting apart the Jewish people, both ethnically and culturally. But the other thing that these laws were doing was that they were designed to demonstrate something. And, and you need to understand this. They, they were designed to show that God is a holy God, and you can only come into his presence if you're clean. Thus, all the clean laws. You've got to be clean to come into the presence of a holy God. But there's no way you can ever make yourself clean enough to come into his presence. Uh, Because what would happen is uh, the Jewish people would try as, as best as they could to obey all of these laws. And then they would wind up at the temple and there would still have to be a sacrifice made for them. An animal sacrifice. Because despite all of their work... Uh, they were still sinful. They still weren't clean enough to enter into God's presence. Now, I've used this illustration before, but, but think if you were getting ready for a big date and you had cleaned up, you had, you had dressed up nice, you, you did everything you do to, to get ready for, for the big date, and, and you show up on the front doorstep of the person you're going out with, and they look at you and say, could, could you change clothes? Would you mind taking a shower again before we go out? Can I spray you now with Lysol? Uh, maybe take one of these disinfectant wipes, and, and, and then, then, we can, then I can go out with you. you. You've done all of this to get ready, and yet when you get there, you're still not clean enough. And that's what the Old Testament laws, especially these clean laws, were designed uh, to show, is that you've got to be clean to enter God's presence, but you can never make yourself clean enough, holy enough, to enter into the presence of a holy God. But what happened was uh, some of the people began to take these as these clean laws as, well, this is how you make yourself acceptable to God. These are the religious hoops that you've got to jump through, and if you jump through these hoops, then God will accept you. And circumcision, even though originally it was meant to point people to faith in God, it became like the main marker of uh, works religion. Oh, I just need to be circumcised, and then I'm right with God. I've got this mark of the covenant, and so everything's okay. I'm acceptable to God. And so in Paul's day, the teachers, the false teachers were actually saying, unless you're circumcised and keep the law, you can't be saved. You can't know God. Yes, yes, Jesus is important. We believe in Jesus but you've got to be circumcised, and you've got to keep the law, and then, only then, can you be saved. And Paul says, if that's what they think, I wish not only they would cut the foreskin off, I just wish they would go ahead and cut the whole thing off and emasculate themselves. I mean, he, he's, he's that adamant. I wish they would go Lorena Bobbitt on themselves, all right? And that's a 20-year-old cultural reference. But that's, that's, that, that's in the Bible here. And that's what 
Paul is saying, this is what I wish that they would do if they're going to teach this. Now, it's kind of a little harsh, um, but go back and think about what Paul has said throughout this conversation uh, with the Galatians. In chapter 1, he said, look, what these guys are teaching is another religion. It's another gospel. It's a false gospel. It's not true. They're teaching you a different way of being made right with God. And it isn't really a way of being made right with God. It won't help you to be made right with God. It won't bring you life. It'll bring you condemnation instead. And so Paul, all through the book of Galatians, is reasoning with them about this issue. And it's kind of built to a fever pitch here in chapter 5. Uh, verse 7, he says, You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? Verse 2, If you do this, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Uh, verse 4, If you do this, that means you're severed from Christ. What's being cut is not your foreskin. It's your relationship with Jesus Christ that's been severed. You're going over to a different religion, guys. You're going over to a different way of relating to God. And where it leaves you is with no relationship with God. Because it's a false religion. It won't help you at all. So, what I want to do in light of that is draw this contrast from these few verses between what Paul is saying is false religion on one hand and true religion on the other hand. First of all, uh, Paul says here, false religion leads to slavery, but true religion leads to freedom. False religion leads to slavery, true religion leads to freedom. And, and really, at the end of the day, what the, the claim the Bible is making is that the cross, is, is Christianity, is the only way of looking at the world that will actually bring you freedom and not slavery. Verse 1, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Do not submit, he tells the Galatians, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Now, again is an important word here because, remember, the Galatians weren't Jewish, Okay, they weren't, they weren't even what we would think of as nice religious people. The, the Galatians were, were really pagans. They kind of did whatever they wanted to do. And in fact, they would worship pagan gods. The sailors uh, would sacrifice to the god of the sea. Uh, the farmers would sacrifice to the god of the weather. You know, the baseball players would sacrifice to the steroid god. You know, all, you know just uh, come on, a baseball joke this morning. Uh, all of these, these false gods that they would actually bow down to uh, and serve. They would, they would give themselves over the things that weren't really gods in order to get control over their world. All right? And the result was slavery to these false gods that they worshipped and served. They were always trying to appease them, and so they were in slavery to them. And Paul says the Galatians, you guys who used to be pagans... If you leave that and go back to circumcision and go back to the Mosaic Law, what you're turning back to is actually slavery all over again. Right? That ought to be kind of an unsettling statement a little bit. 
you're going, you're going from paganism to, to the Mosaic law, which looks like, hey, that's pretty conservative religion. But all you're doing in doing that is going back into slavery. Now, how does that work? Well, why were the pagans worshiping the weather god, for instance, in the first place? Well, they wanted to get his favor. They wanted to get the weather god to do something for them. Send us rain so we'll have crops, we'll eat, we'll have money, you know, bless us in whatever way. Why were the Judaizers, why were the false teachers saying you needed to do these religious ceremonies? Well, they wanted to get something from God, too. They were trying to get his blessing. They were trying to get his favor. They were trying to, to, to get, uh, really, in some ways, control over God, forcing God's hand by the things that they were doing. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't really want God. They didn't really want to know God. They just wanted God's gifts. They just wanted God's blessing. And the way they thought they could, di- could get that was by serving him, by their morality, by their performance, by their religious rituals. And Paul says, that you're just going back to slavery again when you do that. It's the same thing as your paganism. Think about it like this, all right? kind of a, a modern-day America example. Uh, the Galatians might have been roughly equivalent to uh, set what we might say is, this is these are the secular liberals. They don't really believe in God. They, they, they want to do whatever they want to do. Nobody can tell them what to do. Uh, and they were about to become what they were about to become. They were about to become religious conservatives. All right, They were going to move from being secular liberals to being religious conservatives. And Paul says... They're both slavery. Secular liberalism and religious conservatism, he says, are both slavery. Because neither the religious conservative or the secular liberal are really living for God. They're living for what they can get from God. They're just trying to get it in different ways. They're just trying to get God's blessing in different ways. And the reality is, is that whatever they're really trying to get from God, that's what their God really is. That's what they're really worshiping and serving, whether that's uh, his blessing on your life, whether that's money, whether that's success, whether that's safety, uh, whether that's, you know, this moral standard that makes you feel good. Whatever that is, that's your God. That's what you serve. That's what you have to have to be happy. And you know what happens with these, if I can digress just for a moment, you know what happens with these gods that we serve and we set up, if we fail in our service to these gods and we don't get what we want, what do we do? We blame ourselves and we're miserable and we're depressed and we're down on ourselves. But if you get in my way of what I'm after in life, if something else blocks me, if you block me from getting... Uh, money or power or success or control or whatever it is, whatever I'm after, then I'm angry at you. Then I'm bitter with you. And so we might ask ourselves this morning, who are you angry with? What are you angry about? What, what's that person taking from you that's making you so angry? Maybe that thing that you think they're taking or that they're keeping you from getting Maybe that's your real God. Maybe that's who you actually worship 
and serve. But both secular liberalism and religious conservatism can be nothing more than our attempts to get what we want out of life. And both ways lead to burnout and fear and anger and slavery. But you know, that's usually what people who aren't religious, that's usually what they think the church is offering, isn't it? Uh, we want you to, 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 to come over here and straighten up and fly right and be a religious conservative and, and then be a good person and we'll accept you and God will accept you. All right, get all your ducks in a row, whatever, whatever the ducks are, get those in a row and then come over and everybody will accept you. Let me just say that that's not what we're about here. That's not what we're offering here. Now, we're not offering a religious way to be the best you can be. A religious way to the, the new, better you. We're not offering you religious works to do to get right with God. We're not offering you religious works to do to make everybody else think you're such a great uh, and, and wonderful servant of the community. We're offering instead what's offered in the gospel. It's the freedom of knowing that you've been accepted by God, not because of your work, but because of the work of Jesus. Not because of your work, but through faith in what Jesus has done. Uh, We're offering you freedom from trying to get things from God because you know that God has already given you the greatest gift in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's already given given you Himself. We're not offering you a way of self-salvation. We're not offering something, a way of salvation that depends on you and what you do. We're offering a way of salvation that depends on Jesus and what He has done. We're not trying to make you nice, better people. Although I do think the gospel will make you better people, but that's not what we're offering you. We're not offering you a way to become a better, nicer person. We're offering freedom. We're offering freedom. Uh, C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, A world of nice people, content in their own niceness, would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might even be more difficult to save. A world of nice people content in their own niceness would be just as desperately in need of salvation as a miserable world and might even be more difficult to save. God became man to turn creatures into sons, not simply to produce better men of the old kind, but to produce a new kind of man. It is not like teaching a horse to jump better and better, but like turning a horse into a winged creature. See, grace, this church doesn't exist to make you better people. It exists to make you free people. It doesn't exist to help you to try harder to jump higher, but it exists to make you people who delight in this newfound freedom that God has given you so much that it almost feels like you're flying that you've moved from slavery to the freedom of knowing God and knowing God's love and knowing God's embrace. False religion doesn't give you that. False religion gives you slavery. False religion keeps saying to you, try harder, do more, keep at it. True religion offers you rest 
and freedom. Well, <clears throat> number two, and, and these all won't be as long as that one, so don't worry. Uh, number two, in false religion—excuse me—in false religion, Jesus is either not present, or at best, he's an add-on. He's either not present, or at best, he's an add-on. In true religion, he's the main thing. All right? There are there are many religions that would acknowledge that Jesus was a great prophet. There are many secular people who would say that Jesus was a great teacher, even. Uh, the Judaizers said, well, yeah, Jesus is necessary for salvation, but you've got to add something to that. There, there's more involved than just Jesus. He's just part of the formula. You need circumcision. And so Paul in verse 2 says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision... Christ will be of no advantage to you. If you accept circumcision, in other words, if you make this depend on your religious works, then Jesus is of no use to you at all. Uh, there's, a, there's a story told of a, of a man who found, an older man who found a baseball that had been autographed by Babe Ruth. And he thought, man, this thing's probably worth a lot, worth a lot of money. I'm going to take it and get it appraised and see what it's worth. But the signature was kind of faded. You could just barely make out Babe Ruth. So what he did was he took his Sharpie and he traced Babe Ruth. And what had he done? What had he done? He had made it worthless because he had added his signature on top of Babe Ruth's signature. And he completely made the baseball of no value. That's what we do when we try to add our work to the work of Jesus. We make it of no value in our life. It's worthless. Uh, A Jesus that's just part of the formula, uh, a a Jesus that's just a good prophet, a great prophet, a Jesus that's just a good teacher, um, is no good to us. Uh, That sort of Jesus doesn't help you. Because if that's all the Jesus you have, at the end of the day, what you're offering to God is not Jesus it's you. It's your work. It's your signature on the baseball. In false religion, Jesus either isn't there or he's just a side dish. In true religion, Jesus is everything. He's the, he's the whole mill. In true religion, <clears throat> your salvation depends 100% on what Jesus has done and 0% on what you do. You don't contribute anything to it. Number three, in false religion, your standing with God depends on you. In true religion, your standing with God depends on His grace. Look at verse three. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. Paul says, if you accept circumcision, what you're doing is you're obligating yourself to keep the entire law of God. If you accept circumcision as a way to be right with God, you're obligating yourself to keep the entire law in order to be right with God. He's saying, look, if you want to go the religious good works route, if you want to go the moral nice guy route, 
then, then this is what you've got to do. You've got to keep all of the law of God in order to have right standing with him. Not just be pretty good. Not just keep parts of it. But actually keep all of the law of God for the right reasons, for the right motivations, with the right attitude. Do all of it. Now, you really want to go there. Uh, I had a, a friend who was telling me the other day, and, and, I, and I, I can't tell you the, the whole story, but he was in Los Angeles with some friends, and they were out to dinner, and there were some movers and shakers there, and he found out there was going to be this race the next day. And he's into running, and he's like, man, I really would like to do this. There's this half marathon they're having, and, and I've been, I've been, I haven't run a half marathon yet, but I've gotten pretty close, and He's a really in shape guy, and he's like, well, can you get me in this race? And the guy says, yeah, hang on a minute. So he calls somebody, and he says, look, be there at the race tomorrow morning this time. we got your spot, and you can run the race. It's through the middle of downtown Los Angeles. It'll be beautiful. And so he's, you know, he said he's picking out on steak or something, and he just shoves it out of the way and tells the guy to start bringing in pasta. And so he gets ready for this race, and he shows up the next morning, getting ready to run this half marathon. And he realizes he won a half marathon, is a marathon, uh, and 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 he, he tried to run it, uh, and and I'll, I'll I'll save the story, but let's just say he didn't finish. Uh, he he wasn't able uh, to finish the marathon. He didn't realize what exactly was he was getting into. And and Paul is saying, all right, guys, you, you want to be circumcised and try to obey the entire law. You want to run that race. You want your salvation to depend on your ability to finish that race? Well, let me tell you what that race really is that you're getting ready to run. It, it isn't just some religious rituals. You know, today we might say, it's not just being baptized and taking the Lord's Supper and going to church. What you're, what you're obligating yourself to, if you're going to depend on you instead of God, is you're obligating yourself to keep the entire law of God you better be sure you're ready to run that kind of race. See, there's no third option. It's either you run the race, you depend on your ability to run the race, you depend on your good works, or you depend on the race Jesus has already run. You depend on the good work of Jesus Christ. It's not both and. It's either or. Either you run it, or Jesus runs it. False religion, true religion. Which one's it going to be? Uh, number four, false religion is a human invention. True religion is from God. Look at, look at verse 8. This persuasion is not from him who calls you. In other words, this thing that they're teaching, that you need to do this, is not from God. This is not a message from God. Uh, false religion is man making up what he thinks is the best way to God, what seems to be right to him. True religion is actually revelation from God. It's God making himself known to man. And, and I'm not going to get into this morning all of why I believe the Bible is the Word of God and why you should believe the Bible is actually the Word of God. But let me just ask you this. 
who does false religion bring glory to? Or what is what does what who does every other worldview, every other religion, who does that bring glory to? It brings glory to you, right? Because you're the one working hard. You're the one jumping through the hoops. But who does biblical Christianity bring glory to? Who does the cross bring glory to? It doesn't bring glory to you. It brings glory to God. Because salvation is his work, not your work. And you have nothing to boast in save simply to rest in this finished work of Jesus. False religion um, is from man and brings glory to man. True religion is from God and brings glory to God. The last one here. Uh, In false religion, the offense of the cross is removed. In true religion, the offense of the cross stays, but it's embraced. Look at verse 11. But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. Paul says, if I was preaching circumcision, if I was preaching that you're made right with God through your effort, the cross wouldn't be offensive to anybody. It would just be this religious novelty. It wouldn't really mean anything. It might be a good example of of self-sacrifice, but it wouldn't really be anything more than that. It wouldn't offend people. Because, I mean, think about it. A, a Jesus who's just a great prophet. Well, okay, that doesn't offend anybody. Uh, a, a Jesus who is a good teacher. Okay, that, that's not offensive to anybody. The Son of God dying on a cross. That's offensive. Why is that offensive? The cross offends us because it tells us that our sin is so bad that we, de- we deserve to die for it. That that should have been me there. The cross uh, offends us because it tells us that we're so bad that somebody had to die in order to rescue us. The cross offends us because it tells us we're not good people. That we can't make ourselves right with God. The cross offends us because it tells us there's something wrong with the way we're living. The cross offends us because it says this is the way. This is the only way. This is the only way for you to enter into the presence of a holy God. Is His, his Son is executed for you. You can't come in based on who you are or what you do. That's offensive. To, to, to us. And so what false religion does is it removes the offense. False religion says, well, you, you just decide what God is like. You decide what the, what the standards will be. You decide what appropriate behavior is. You decide how to live your life. And true religion says it's not your life. You're not the owner. It doesn't belong to you. You have an owner who is more offended than you want to admit by your refusal to acknowledge him. But who at the same time loves you more than you could ever imagine. Loves you enough to die for you. Uh, Imagine 
a self-made billionaire who's lost everything in the stock market but doesn't believe it yet. And somebody comes and tells him, look, there, there are places you can get help, but you've got to go and ask for the help. And the billionaire says, I don't need help. Do you know who I am? Do you know what kind of resources I have? Actually, you don't have any anymore. See, it's, it's offensive to a rich man to be told he's bankrupt. It's offensive to all of us to be told we're spiritually bankrupt. But that's what the cross says to us. It says you are spiritually bankrupt and have nothing to offer to God. It's offensive. But the Bible says that's the only way you could ever be free. It's the only way you can ever be free. The only way you can be free is if you kneel before the cross and embrace the offense of it. Embrace your own bankruptcy. Uh, Acknowledge that both your refusal to serve God and your attempts to serve God, your religious works, have been nothing more than your own attempts to be your own Lord, your own Master, your own Savior. And the only way you can be free is to kneel before that cross and allow Jesus to make you acceptable to God. Allow Jesus to wash you clean, which is what baptism pictures for us. As the song says, what can wash away my sin? It's nothing but the blood of Jesus. False religion says, you've got something to offer to God. True religion calls you to rest and receive what Jesus offers to you. Let me pray for us. Father, your word is is hard at times, and and, um, it is offensive to us. Um, But I pray that you would would cause us to wrestle with it, uh, and be formed by it, and be changed by it. Help us not to try to sit in judgment over your word, but to allow it actually uh, to sit in judgment over us, and to listen to it, and to what it says about who we are, but to listen also to what it says about your grace and your kindness to us in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you give us grace that we might indeed rest not in what we do, but in what Jesus has already done. And we pray it in his name. Amen.